Hello and welcome to Dear Sadie. My name is Benny, and if your name is not Sadie or Amelia Prabhu, thank you for tuning in to see what this is all about. And if you are Amelia or Sadie, hello again, girls. So if this is the first episode you're listening to, this podcast is a love letter to my daughter Sadie through a series of conversations with friends and family on different topics that are important to me, and some I hope that she will find interesting and worth listening to. At the time of recording this, Sadie is just over nine months old, and needless to say, I hope that this will be a gift she will appreciate in the coming years. All right, I'm really excited for this episode. If you have listened to the Dear Amelia podcast, you would have heard me talking about how my faith plays a central role in my life. To reiterate that for Sadie, I invited my church pastor to come on and have a conversation on all things faith and parenting. Gabriel Turner, a.k.a. Pastor Gabe from the Point Church in Charlottesville, Virginia, dropped in for a chat about how he came to be a pastor, the challenges of being a parent who is also a pastor, and raising children in a godly way. So stay tuned for all that and more. So this past Sunday, you know, in the sermon, uh, when you mentioned about your... um, early days after having moved to Charlottesville and, uh, you know, when you were on the treadmill at the gym in Avmore, uh, by the way, we lived in Avmore too, uh, for a brief time. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. After we moved to Charlottesville. Um, sure. and when you were talking about like almost second guessing or rethinking, you know, was this the right move? You know, when you had to mm. choose between Charlottesville and Tampa, um, and almost having those second thoughts. And I'm not going to go into detail on what you shared, uh, but I w- uh, I just wanted to say that uh, it was a little amusing to me because in our, uh, for us, for me and Abigail, when we moved to Charlottesville, we uh-huh. kind of had something similar where, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I never shared the story with you, but uh, when sure. we were living in, uh, we were living in central Pennsylvania before we moved here. And we were talking about where would we move? Where would we start a family? Uh, where would we set roots? And um, we had some criteria. And so what we did was we had to decide a place between Pennsylvania and North Carolina, because that's where our parents are, um, our respective Both parents. of your, you have one set of parents in Pennsylvania and correct. one set in North Carolina. Is that correct? Yeah. My parents okay. live in Pittsburgh. Abigail's parents okay. live in North Carolina. So okay. we wanted it, we wanted to be close enough, but also far enough uh, from our parents. <laughs> and so we went online and we typed best places to live. And obviously within the criteria that we had and Charlottesville was right on the top of that list. And so we just drove down here one weekend. We rented like an Airbnb. Um, we went to, we did like some apartment tours. We went to like Wegmans, we went to Walmart just to get a sense of the place and people sure. and all of that. And we just loved it straight away. Um, and then we moved a few months later we what were have, some of the things, can I ask you, what were some of the things that stuck out to you when you first came? I'll tell you the most important thing that uh, st- uh, st- stuck out to Abigail more than anything else. 
um, we were in Wegmans and uh, we were just going, you know, walking through the store and there was an older gentleman uh, who was somewhere, you know, kind of walking here and he actually looked at her, smiled and kind of asked like, how are you doing today? And she said she missed that because she's from North Carolina, from the South. Right. I, I don't want to rag on people who live in the North, but it's not necessarily the same culture. Uh, you know, <laughs> people are very busy. And if you, you know, like smile at them, they'll be like, do I know you? You know, you know, that's mm. the kind of attitude. Um, right. But there was a sense of just people being nice yes. without expecting anything in return. Yes. Um, that was the biggest thing that really st uh, stuck out for her and, and for me as well. So we just decided to move here. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have family in the area. Um, I was doing like a stay at home job. So uh, work from home job. And so I didn't have to do anything, you know, special to move here. And then Abigail, who was working at Wegmans in Pennsylvania, got a direct transfer uh, oh, wow. to work at Wegmans in Charlottesville. So that is how we moved. Uh, moved so how many here. years ago? Remind me how many years ago this was now. Uh, 2019. So just March. before COVID. Well, yeah, just a year. Uh, a year, a year. Yeah. Um, so we move into March 2019. And again, not knowing anybody, but deciding this is where we want to plant our roots. And I have to tell you that the point is one of the biggest reasons uh, we almost very fast, it was getting very comfortable with the city, with the place, but also mm. with people. We were able to form these relationships uh, and bonds that make us feel like okay charlottesville or waynesboro like we are here this is our home now this is yes. where we're having our kids we want to see them grow up um and so that's been such a big part uh of our recent few years and Amen. for me the way i see it is you need people to care about and people who who care for you and yes. we found that through the point and through the friendships mm -hmm. uh, that we have formed through the point. Not to say there haven't been times, especially in the first few months where we were wondering if we need to stick around, if we need to stay here, but we mm -hmm. got past all of that. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's really a blessing to be in this area, to live in this area. But that brings me back to you as far as, you know, you, you know, over the years, uh, when we've been attending the point, you've shared, you know, bits and pieces about how you came sure. to Charlottesville, you and Carrie. Uh, but just for the benefit of people listening in, if you could share just a little bit about yourself, how you decided to come to Charlottesville and sure. pastor a church here. Yes, absolutely. So really, probably the best place to jump in with our story, if I could take you back to um, two thousand six, uh, around that time, Carrie and I had been uh, public school teachers and coaches at a, at a nearby school system, Louisa County, uh, for, I had been teaching and coaching for five years. She had been for three. And uh, we had been, while we were doing that, we actually met through her brother, who he and I were coaching together. And he and I were actually leading worship together. And uh, we had been part of a church plant in that season as well. So we had a lot of, um, of irons in the fire and, uh, it was just a great season. And, um, Carrie and I actually led worship together for the first several years of our marriage. Uh, but we were primarily teaching and coaching. 
which we loved very much. Uh, we knew, even we talked about it before marriage, that we just sensed a calling our, on our lives to ministry. Uh, we didn't necessarily know what that would look like, uh, but we just sensed it was somewhere on the horizon. And, uh, and so every year when we were teaching and coaching, we would kind of wrestle through, and it was usually in the spring when it came time to, to sign our letter, letters of intent to return for the next school year. Um, right. You know, is this the year that we need to like talk, talk about or think about a major move um, to like seminary to go and prepare for ministry? Um, and so every year that, that kind of that conversation uh, came up and it was in the, what would be the last year of teaching and coaching. We had an amazing football season that year. Our team went to the state championship game, uh, coached basketball season and Carrie was coaching cheerleading, um, during this time as well. And then it was in the baseball season of that year that we, um, I was coaching our JV team, our junior varsity team, and we went 21 and up. So we had a great team. We had a lot of pitching. Just a, it was set up well. And um, this was, and keep in mind, the, the program that I played high school baseball for. So this was really special okay. to be part of this. And that year, the head baseball coach at the time was moving to Myrtle Beach to take a job um, as a head baseball coach at high school there. So naturally that opened up this opportunity to become the head coach of the varsity program. And, and I had just had this team that went 21 and 0 that would move up with me. And, um, honestly, uh, Benny, it was, it was probably the, just one of the most gut wrenching, difficult, hard decisions, uh, hardest decisions of our lives. But we knew that, that it was in this great, season, right? This exciting season that God used to kind of um, encourage us, like, what were we going to give our lives to? And teaching and coaching in a school system of any type is like, it's a great ministry. It is a, it is a high and a noble calling. Um, yeah. But we just knew, okay, th is this what God wants? Or we had questioned, like, really, is this what God wants us to do? And so it, it almost, um, it was so good of a situation that it forced us to really ask the question, okay, is, is this what we're supposed to give our lives to? And uh, so we prayed and we wrestled with it and we fasted and just sought the Lord and just sensed that as great as the opportunity was, it was time to like surrender that, that season and to go to seminary and pre prepare for full-time ministry. Um, so anyways, we, we resigned our teaching and coaching and we moved to Lynchburg. We looked at a lot of seminaries, but we moved to Lynchburg and we attended seminary at Liberty. And um, while we were there, we went with one condition. And <laughs> we said, Lord, we don't know what life is going to look like when we leave here. Like, but we, we will go anywhere. We will do anything. But we are not planting a church. And... The reason being is because we had been part of a church plant and we had set up early in the mornings. We tore down late on Sunday nights. We had service on Wednesday nights and we were just, when we went to seminary, we were just exhausted. I, looking back on that time, um, my tank was just on empty um, spiritually and it was like, well, like got anything but that. And 
Um, of course, you know how that goes. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of telling God what you won't do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I always say that God has a weird sense of humor because the yes. moment you tell him that this is <laughs> something you don't want to do, he's like, all right, just watch me mold you into fitting in there. Yes. And, you know, he, he does it, I think, um, to show us um, like that, that he is able, right. That, yeah. um, that, that he, he'll bring you, he brings us through to show us like that he's sufficient in everything. And, um, so while we were in seminary, so this picks up a little bit in the story that I shared this past Sunday, but when we were in seminary, different job offers to pastor established churches, they began to open around the country and we would go to these churches and they were amazing churches and amazing opportunities. And as I shared, if you were to look at the opportunity on paper, you would say, that's a no brainer. Like, what are you waiting on? Like anybody in their right mind would say yes to an opportunity like this. And um, every time it was like, oh man, like we want to do this, but we just don't feel like th that God is giving us the green light. So we would say, thank you, but no thank you. And it was painful and gut wrenching. And what was happening is while we were in seminary, what I, what I learned now looking back is that God was breaking us of small vision. And what I mean by that is that we had, again, limited God to what he would do. God will go anywhere, will do anything except for. And the minute that you put a stipulation on God like that, you've put him in some, some level of a box you've limited him. And yeah. uh, God really had to break me of small vision. And that's even in that season where I, I begin to realize like, you know, any vision that doesn't include impacting the world for Jesus is too small. Uh, right. Because any vision less than that, you've, you've, you've put God in this, in this box. The, the short of it is, is that um, it was in our final semester of seminary and I had just gotten off the phone with the church from outside of D.C. and said, thank you for the opportunity, but no thank you. And again, it was just gut-wrenching. And this was our final semester. We didn't know what we were going to do if we said no right. to this opportunity. And um, I got off the phone, and I looked at my wife, and I still I will never forget these words. She said, how many times are we going to go down the same road and reach the same conclusion? And she said, I am more open to planting a church than I've ever been. And when she said that, like, I knew that God was moving in her heart yeah. and in our mm -hmm. hearts. And so that night we prayed, we put our yes on the table. We said, Lord, the answer is yes, whatever you want. There's no more stipulations. Like, what do you want? And yeah. Benny, within two weeks, God opened up the door to plant the point. He brought financial support behind it, began to put a team together. Like it all, it all started to become clear. And God showed us that if we will put our yes on the table, if we'll step into the flow of his, his activity, where is he moving? How can we get in on what he's doing? If we will just put our step into that flow, that divine flow, like he can do in two weeks what it would take us 10 years to try to engineer ourselves. Right. And um, really that's been the theme is God, we just want to get in on what you're doing. Like, it's not about us, not about my preferences. Um, I wouldn't want that. I want what you want, Lord. And 
So we, uh, we ended up, we put our yes on the table, things came together to plant the point, and uh, within, you know, a few months we were moving here, and then in October of that same year, which was 2009, is when we had our first Sunday morning service. Right. So it's called, it's going to be 14 years in a few months, and we don't have enough time in this episode to talk about the journey that you've been on, but it's fair enough to say that God has been really good to you, to Carrie, uh, to your family, and to the church, and he's done some amazing things through the point uh, to, to people living in this area, but also people who follow the service online and so on. But, you know, w when you were just sharing about, you know, the the early days and, you know, just the series of decisions that led you here, um, you know, I, I was thinking about my own life and uh, my experiences, and I'm sure this is true for many people, is that we want life to go a certain way. We have our own wish, our own desires on how everything should go, and we pray to God to make it happen. And then we get upset with him when that doesn't pan out. <laughs> <laughs> we put the blame on him. What I've noticed, the moment I step back and say, God, you take control, you know, yes. you take charge of the situation and show me where to go. It's like a hundred percent success rate always Amen. ends up in a much better place. We, uh, as a family, uh, we always ended up in a better place when we, Amen. but that's the hard part. That's the challenge. Yes. Letting go is probably one of the biggest challenges for a Christian because we want to be in control. You know, we, we'll pray, we'll, we'll do everything that we need to do, but when it comes to crunch time, we hold tight and, yes. you know, we, we're like, I can handle this. I can take care of it. But then when you realize you cannot, you don't get mad at yourself. You get mad at God. Right. <laughs> and, but I think experience is the biggest teacher in those situations. Sometimes you have to go through that to realize that there's no real better solution than to let God take control. And I think it's just everyone is on their own journey. Everyone is on their own path, you know, in the journey of faith. And sometimes it just takes a little bit longer. Uh, it's to get it's so true. And, and, you know, so when times do get hard and they, they will, like there, there were hard times and there still are. I mean, as yeah. amazing as our church churches and, and our people are, I mean, it's lead, it's, we're leading and we're pastoring and shepherding and, um, and it's not always easy. And, you know, there are, there are days where, and this is like the sustaining power of the Lord. There are days where I, were, I have to remind the Lord. I'm really reminding myself like, God, this was your idea. This was not my idea. Yeah. This was your idea. And, yeah. uh, even in those early days, there were many days where I would begin my uh, day, like I literally was in the floor in a fetal position, just saying, Lord, like you have gotten me into this and you have got to see me through it. Yeah. But it's like you said, like God's, God's will, his plan, like it's, that's so well said, 100% success rate. I love that. That is very powerful. Yeah. And, and, and I want to kind of jump into something that's obviously taken over my life and Abigail, uh, Abigail's life as well is parenting, you know, um, now I'm a pastor's kid myself and I yes. know the challenges that my parents had to deal with when raising me and my daughter. Um, 
it's always fascinating because when I think back to those days, I think back to the expectations that were on us as kids, mm. uh, not just from our parents, but from people in the church, people around us. They expect you to live up to some certain ideals, certain standards that you are not even aware of till you're a, a, little, uh, a lot older. Mm -hmm. um, but from a parent's perspective, because obviously when you're kids, you don't really think from the parent's perspective. Uh, but as a parent and a pastor, are there any unique challenges that you have faced having to play these two roles? That's a great question. Um, I think the the best advice now at this point, at the time of the recording, our children are ages 12, 10, almost eight and four. Mm -hmm. And so we we have yet to get into the, you know, the teenage years, um, which obviously being a teenager in this day and age is, is a challenge in, in itself. Um, yeah. But s some of the best advice I have I have ever heard for pastors of of uh, for their children, for raising their children is. You parent them for their first name, not their last name. So. In other words, like our children are Cana, Miriam, Ella, and Gabriel. Like they're all unique in and of themselves. And so yeah. therefore I have to be careful and we'll, we will have to be very intentional and mindful that if we do ever feel those pressures, you know, and that we're parenting them for their first name, not their last name, not because they're the Turner, but because of, you know what I mean? who they yeah. are. And um, anyways, when I heard that advice, and that was from a pastor who they had raised, it was actually a couple of pastors, they were talking one day and they had raised their children in the church. And so they had, uh, you know, they have, uh, they've, they've walked that path. That's probably some of the best advice that I've heard um, in, in this area. I think for me too, you know, again, our church is not perfect. But we do, I believe, have a very strong and, and healthy culture. Mm -hmm. And so um, I know sometimes there's a little bit of a, it can be a little bit of a mindset of like a pastor may feel like they have to shield uh, their family from the, yeah. from the people, Isn't that, if that makes sense. And what we have worked hard to do is to build a, a culture in such a way that even wh whether it's my children or any staff children, any pastor's children here, that we don't have to shield our family from the culture, that we can immerse our family in the culture, that it, it really is a, a culture of love. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and we're in this together and so on. And um, so, you know, that's that's just been I, I don't it's 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 interesting. And maybe maybe it is this way because we started the point and it's not like we stepped into an established situation. Um, but I, I don't know that we've come across any major tensions in that area yet, but that's some just sound advice that I've heard that I think we'll lean into in the future. I, I can tell you it was different for me <laughs> because a lot of people would remind me, Hey, you're a pastor's kid. That's you know? interesting. You got to yeah. be, you got to act a certain way. You got to present yourself a certain way. So I guess there's probably an element of cultural uh, yeah. differences to it too, probably. Did you, do you, um, how, how old were you? Do you remember your age when you would start to um, hear those things? Oh yeah. This was 
probably from the age of 10 uh, onwards. High expectations. I've had to deal with some (laughs) really high expectations. Well, the the reason is because the way I see it is as as a pastor, you're a leader, you're a community leader, and and your family is expected to be an example, right? right? Everyone looks up to you and your family. It's not just the pastor himself or herself. And so we were expected, you know, like me and my sister were expected by my parents to be on our best behavior. Uh, because we needed to uh, set that example right from the top. And it did have its own pressures as children because, you know, we were very conscious of how people might interpret what we say or, you know, when they observe us. Um, And I think that's now it's not necessarily applicable only just to pastors, even as Christians. uh, You know, when we live in a society of Christians who are also split into believers, non-believers, when you stand up on a stage or now in the age of social media, if you go on Facebook or anything else and post something, right? Let's say you post a verse or you post something, uh, quote unquote, Christian, um, people can point at you and say, hey, weren't you this person who said so-and-so? Yeah. Uh, so you're a Christian, you know? Yeah. So people use that tag of Christian um, and have these expectations and they kind of yes. judge you based on that. And that's what I worry sometimes as as, mm. uh, as a parent now for my children growing up, if people are going to judge them harshly because yeah. they're Christian and so they're expected to live at their highest values. There's no room for mistakes. There's no room for forgiveness because now everyone is quick to judge. Every, everyone is quick to pass judgment. And if you say, I'm sorry, it's probably not good enough. You have mm. to really grovel for forgiveness and show that you have repented and all of that. And so that's something that I'm thinking of like down the road. Have you, have you, um, if you don't mind me asking, are there like ways that you can like, like see like who you are today, like how maybe feeling those pressures has impacted who you are now, or did they create any, uh, conflict in you that you had to kind of unpack or sort through as you got older? I had a lot of resentment early on towards my parents because I would think, wait a minute, I didn't choose this. Right. <laughs> I didn't choose to be a pastor's kid. Uh, right. Why am I expected to be the good boy or the good son? Why am, why am I not allowed to fail? Why am I not allowed to be imperfect? Mm-hmm. Um, because there are people who would be quick to say, hey, you, you can't be like that. You're the pastor's kid. And I would always be a little defensive saying, well, but I'm not the pastor. <laughs> I didn't choose to be that. <laughs> Now, you know, older, wiser, I can kind of look back and actually say I was blessed to actually have grown up as a pastor's kid because I observed close hand um, and learned uh, very early on about how to live the right way and how to learn from my mistakes, how to, mm. you know, really have develop and maintain a relationship with God and all of those things I'm grateful for. But as a child, I don't think it's, easy uh, to accept that. And I feel a lot of pastor's kids probably will go through that, especially if they're in their teens. Um, You know, at the the stage of life when you're questioning everything, you probably going to question why your parents uh, decided to do certain things. Like, for example, I shared with you very briefly that, uh, like, you know, my dad was arrested in Saudi Arabia for holding these underground church services where people could come and uh, worship God. And obviously in Saudi Arabia, 
you're not allowed to. And he was arrested for that. And I remember my initial feeling was resentment uh, towards my parents and anger towards God, because it was a question of the resentment was knowing the rules, knowing the laws of the land. Why did you feel it was so important <laughs> to do this? And right. also anger at God as to, you know, my parents went out of their way to facilitate a place where people could gather and learn uh, God's word to worship, you know, uh, to fellowship. And my anger towards God was, why would you let that happen? Why would you let my dad be arrested and put in a place of danger? Wow. So you, you go through all those emotions at such a young age. And ultimately, my journey was, my refuge was in God's word. And that helped me a lot. And I actually talk, talk about that in another episode on this podcast. I spoke with my parents and we kind of talked about, you know, those stages. Um, but yeah, now, you know, I can look back and say everything worked out for good. But in in that moment, your world, your picture is very small. You don't see the big picture. You don't see the long term, right? You're very quick to react to what's in front of you. And that's what I did as a kid. And again, as when you're young, you don't really think that far ahead. So let me ask you this. What I'm a pastor. Our children are 12 and under down to age four. What what should a pastor like growing up as a pastor's kid? What what do you think is important for a pastor like myself to keep in mind as we parent our children, you know, through their at through their adolescence and into young adulthood? And so I mean, I, I know every individual is different. Every child is different. Uh, but for me personally, I, I wish that my parents had uh, taken a little bit more time. Uh, they spent more time explaining why they accepted Christ as their personal savior or why they feel it was important to hold a service in a country where they explicitly said, <laughs> you're not allowed to build churches. You're not allowed to worship publicly uh, any religion other than Islam. Uh, but why did you feel the need to, why they felt the need to do that? I wish they had taken the time to just tell me that, right? So I, I think if you generalize it, I feel, uh, and and this is based on my interactions with other pastor kids over the years too, is that just to have that conversation between the parents and the kids as far as their line of work, so to say, because you have a, you're you're doing a service. You're you're serving God. You're serving the community, which means you're making a lot of sacrifices yourself. You're making sacrifices. Uh, you and Carrie are making sacrifices as parents. Um, and so kids, if they don't really understand what's going on, they can start, there can be feelings of resentment and feelings of confusion as to why would you prioritize a church or other people over your family at certain points uh, sure. in time. Um, and that has nothing to do with you spending enough time with the family. It's just about why do I make all the sacrifices that I do for, for, for the people that I'm pastoring yes. to? As a do you do you feel it would have been helpful to for them to even have um, maybe not brought you into the decision making, but just to like include you in, hey, this is what we're thinking. Like we need to pray about this as a family, like any significant steps like that. Absolutely. Um, and I think my parents did that when I was uh, a little older. Once sure. I got into my teens, my 13, 14, um, 
I think they finally saw that I was <laughs> competent or capable enough to have uh, meaningful inputs. And I was also a Christian by then. Um, you know, I got saved in the year 2000. So, um, and having grown up in a very Christian environment where my parents put a lot of emphasis on the kids spending enough time every day reading the Bible, spending some time praying, memorizing Bible verses, uh, which I told my parents I never appreciated that at <laughs> that moment. Uh, I felt like it was a chore. But years later, you know, like I would be in a tough situation and then a verse would just flash. And it was all because we spent that time, year, you know, in the early years. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's important to include your kids because when you're pastoring, it's not an individual thing. You're not pastoring just as yourself, as Pastor Gabe. You're pastoring as a family. Yes. You know, like I mentioned earlier, for us as the church congregants, we don't, we don't only look up to you, but we look up to your family for better, <laughs> for the right or wrong. You know, mm -hmm. that's a different debate, but that's how it is. And yes. so when you're putting that burden on the rest of your family, like your spouse mm -hmm. and your kids, yep. then they need to be on board and they need to be aware of, and that's you need really to have true. your own discussions. And, but also making sure your kids understand the value that they are being treated with respect and being treated that uh, their opinions are valuable are important. And that, I think that just makes it a lot easier to serve together as a family and then handle any kind of challenges or obstacles that come your way. That's really well said. There's a lot of wisdom there. Thank you for that. I'm learning a lot just in this conversation. So thank you. <laughs> well, chat parenting, parenting is, um, Parenting, I've, I've, you've heard me say this before on a Sunday morning, but out of the, out of all the hats uh, that I wear, the callings, I should say the callings of my life, um, you know, between a pastor and a husband and, and a father, um, yeah. this is probably the area that I feel, um, I'm not sure if insecure is the right word, but it definitely is the area where, you know, um, it's just, a, there's challenges, obviously, that you, you don't. Uh, just to put it bluntly, you don't want to you don't want to mess this up, right? <laughs> so. I mean, people forget that pastors and Christian leaders are human. <laughs> at the end mm -hmm. of the day, mm -hmm. right? And um, now, and I'll tell you. So, growing up in an Indian Christian mm. um, environment and having its own cultural uniqueness to it, pastors are treated like. Um, essentially probably how the apostles were treated back in their day. Okay. They're expected to be flawless. They're expected oh, wow. to be perfect. So anything, if they step out of line with regards to what they say or how they act, that's the end of them. <laughs> you know, right. they, they lose their respect. They lose their standing because otherwise they are, their position in society is such a huge thing. And I see it to some extent here in, in the United States as well. Um, when you're a pastor or a Christian leader, you know, people treat you with respect, people, uh, you know, put you on a pedestal, but the moment you slip up and we live in the age of social media where, you know, news spreads fast, you know, scandals are, um, disciplinary things, let's say. And what happens after that? People call for your head yep. <laughs> and so that true. does not have a toll just on you. It has a toll on your family, which is why I'm yeah. going back to saying that when you're pastoring or leading, you know, as a Christian leader, 
it's not just you, it's your family as well. And it, whatever you do or say, it has a toll on them, whether you see it or not. Yes. Which is why it's so important for your family members to be, not just be on board, but to understand why Amen. you're doing what you do. Um, so I, I just think it's, you, you signed up for it. <laughs> Let me yep. put it that way, right? That's you could have, you could be doing any other job where nobody's paying attention to you, where nobody has to listen <laughs> to what you say every week. That's right. right? <laughs> or parse through every single word and trying to like find interpretations. Um, but that's what he signed up for when he decided to serve God. And that's the kind of person that God is looking for, someone to be bold and mm. say the things that God wants you to communicate Amen. to people. Um, and I see that uh, at a kind of a lesser level for Christians too. And I, I see mm -hmm. that... As a Christian parent, I'm going to have a lot of responsibility in the coming years because the world has changed and is changing. And I don't know how much more is going to change in the next 15 to 20 years, sure. uh, which is what I, I wanted to ask you, because, you know, when Amelia and Sadie listen to this uh, in the next 15 to 20 years, let's say the challenges for young Christians are probably going to be more pronounced than what it is right now. Yes. And I'm trying to kind of stay ahead, like stay one step ahead and because I know I'll get those questions or they will ask me, what do you think about this? Right. And I'm trying to prepare myself and trying to see how do I best parent them? How do I best lead them? Because I don't need to be a pastor to lead them in a godly way. I still need to set an example as a father. And so I was just curious about if you see any challenges that are coming, you know, in the years ahead for, not just younger Christians, let's just say Christians in general, that they will have to be prepared for, to deal with, to really, uh, you know, go to God for. Do you see any of those? Yes. I mean, even, even when I see the pressures on young people and the things that, you know, culture is putting in front of young people, you know, I, I can see it just even in these past 14, 16 years from when I stepped out of the world of education to like where we are now, like it's, I mean, it, it's like a different world that, um, that we are living in. And I think that you've mentioned it a couple of times, just the world of social media, how that has, that's been just an accelerant of, of all of these uh, pressures, you know, and, um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know if there are specific pressures that you have in mind, but I think just like a blanket statement about pressure, I would imagine that it's going to grow even more intense. And what we have tried to do is really even, you know, I think about some of the things Carrie and I are doing. Like one of the things that we model, we try to model for the kids is just, you know, our own like walk with God, our intimacy with the Lord. So it's not uncommon for our kids to wake up in the morning and, they'll find mom and dad with the Bible open and the journal open yeah. and, you know, in prayer, reading the word, memorizing scripture. And, uh, and, you know, it's one of my favorite things when I'm doing that, if one of the kids wakes up a little early and I'm, I'm in the word or what have you, it's one of my fav most favorite things for them to come in and just um, crawl up on my lap and, you know, Hey daddy, yeah. what are you reading? And things of that nature, and um, and so many things. I, I think that modeling uh, that for them. I think that 
that that's like an image of them seeing mom and dad in the word of God in the morning that I don't, I think that'll stay with them if that makes sense. Uh, you know, you've yeah. heard the saying before, Christianity is more caught than it is taught. And I think mm-hmm. it's very, very true. Um, you know, we try to bring the word into our um, just everyday lives. So if there's a decision or something we're talking to as a family, we bring the word to that decision. Um, we pray together every morning before I leave. It's not a long prayer. Uh, before we leave the house, though, we'll take a minute or two and just pray together as a family. Um, you know, just just some of these, I think, reg- I guess where I'm going is regardless of whatever culture brings or the, the pressures that, that the world will bring on them, just trying to live this out in our in just our everyday world. You know what I mean? That this isn't just something that they hear dad preaching about on a Sunday yeah. or they see him on a stage. Like this is very real to him and to, to carry as well, that they see this. Um, you know, I even think about, and, and for you to have, you know, two daughters, I think about our three daughters. Um, one of the best things that we can do, I, w- I would even not even say one of the best, I would say the best thing that we can do as uh, fathers of, of children, of girls specifically, is just to love our, love our wives well. Just to love our wives well, to serve our, li- our our wives well, to love them, as Paul said, as Christ loved the church. And we're not going to be perfect at that. Um, but I think that what it does, and, and I've learned this just in talking with other older, wiser, godly counsel, is that what it does for our children is it, it creates in them when they see dad loving their, loving their mom, it it gives them a security that like they cannot get it anywhere else. And so therefore, you know, prayerfully when they get to their teenage years or, you know, you know, late teenage years, twenties and so on up until engagement and marriage, whenever that happens, they're not, they're not working through, through those insecurities or needing that, you know, affirmation from, or that attention from, you know, maybe that that guy that doesn't have the best of intentions or what have you. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I don't I don't necessarily think that's probably what you were asking for as far as pressures go. But um, I, I guess what I'm saying is is like while we don't know what the future holds, because who knows, God could send a great revival to our country, and you yeah. never know what would happen in that case and what that would look like for culture. Um, so I I. I'm aware of what maybe could come for our children. I try not to get too caught up in in thinking too far ahead, but it's more of like, what can I do now to provide that best foundation for them? Just focus. uh, The way I see it is focus less on the challenges and obstacles that may come and just focus on God and take care of it. Maybe that's a little too simplistic, but I think it's true. I think it's important and I feel if I live a godly life and to the best of my ability and have my kids see that, like you said, Christianity is God, it's not taught. I don't need to tell them what to do. They see it. They see the way I live my life. They see the way I treat Abigail. Um, and I think that itself will help them. And I'm always there as a guide. They can always turn to me. And I think that's the best thing you can do as a parent be someone they are not afraid to turn to 
and it, rather than CUS, uh, I don't know if I can bring this up with dad or mom. Um, they should feel comfortable enough. You need to foster that environment where they can, you know, you're their first person that they turn to. So Pascal, as we wrap this up, I, I just want to say thank you uh, for being a pastor because Again, from, as a pastor kid, I know pastors don't get enough thanks. Um, and so I want to thank you for the sacrifices that you made, this, uh, the time that you put towards not just leading the church, but also leading your own family and for being a counsel and guide to people who need it the most. Um, and I'm so excited to see what God has in store for you and our church. And uh, uh, it's going to be great. And I can't wait to see how the kids grow up too, your kids, my kids, all the kids of the church. Um, and uh, all I can say is I hope that we are the best version of ourselves so that our kids can see God reflected in us. If I could just flip that back on you and just want to say thank you to you. And um, I think of, uh, you know, families that are in callings that require great sacrifice. And um, when I think of you, your parents, you know, them giving their lives uh, to the gospel into the ministry. Um, as you've been saying, that that has included you as well. And so yeah. thank you, Benny, for your heart and thank you for your leadership. And uh, thank you for your love for Jesus, uh, your love for your wife, for your for your children. And, um, and thank you for your love for the church. And um, I think that's something that is very important for your daughter's to just know is that uh, you are a man who loves Jesus, loves his family so well, and that loves the church, loves the house of God. And um, that is uh, that is a huge testimony for a pastor's kid to come out of a lifetime of ministry or, or, or you know, your younger years of, of life in ministry and that you still love Jesus and love his love his bride. So thank you for your testimony and for your leadership. And that's Pastor Gabe. It's my sincere hope that you, dear listener, found that conversation useful, encouraging, and insightful. At the very least, I hope it gives you something to think about. Next time, I'm going to be speaking with a friend on the importance of community and how it shapes purpose and meaning in our lives. Till then, thank you for listening. And dear Sadie, Papa loves you. See the world in its brightest colors Dear Sadie